You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Um, it's a little bit difficult this morning to just launch into um, Packers news because of what's going on around the world. Um, potentially the most serious thing that's happened in just about any of our lifetimes, depending on exactly how this materializes. Um, I went to bed last night shortly after the Russian invasion. Um, unfortunately, I was up till 10 monitoring that. And then my dog woke me up at 1.30 because he's having stomach issues. He was barking his head off. So I was up at 1.30 and then um, he woke me up again right before my alarm. So I, you know, whatever. But anyways, um, woke up to basically the worst possible news that you can imagine. Um, not only is the Ukrainian effort just completely useless, I mean, that that will fall today. Um, Ukraine is 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 done. Their their navy was wiped out within about an hour. Their military infrastructure and any air defenses were wiped out within about an hour. When I woke up this morning, the navy had been completely neutralized. Um, the uh, several cities have fallen. The Ukrainian troops have essentially given up. There's videos that I can see of Ukrainian troops surrendering to the to the rebel troops, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, by counts right now, a thousand Ukrainians have been killed. Uh, roughly, I think fifty Russian soldiers have been killed. But that's nowhere near the worst news. Not even close. Um, first of all, Belarus has joined Russia and has also invaded um, Ukraine. So now we have multiple countries joining in to um, assist Russia in the invasion of other nations. That's a serious problem. You have countries like Lithuania declaring a state of emergency out of fear of further invasion. You have uh, border crossings in uh, Poland on the border of Belarus, where alarms are now siren, uh, the sirens are now sounding. And on top of that, the Chinese uh, Navy has mobilized and um, is seeming to be planning to very soon at least launch a strike against Taiwan. So, you know... It just is what it is, man. I wish this wasn't the situation. I wish this wasn't the world we lived in, but it but it was. Um, and unfortunately, we showed our hand and we demonstrated, we meaning America, Canada, Europe, the, the West, as much as I, for a very long time, was of the mind that we shouldn't be a police state around the world, um, I realized how stupid that sentiment was. It's not about being a police state. If we pull out and lose our reach, we have no ability to affect the region. Nations like Russia will be emboldened to do what they're doing right now, especially when um, they get the impression that even if they invade another nation, we're not going to do anything. And no, sanctions are doing nothing, especially since the only thing propping up Russia's economy is oil. The only thing we can really do is sanction their oil or, you know, their, their oligarchs or whatever, but they don't care. And guess what? The United States and especially Europe are almost entirely dependent on Russian oil. They can withstand this, these sanctions better than we can. This whole going green thing <laughs> is a complete joke. The idea that Europe and Germany and all, oh, they're completely green is BS. The vast majority of their energy is coming from Russia. The pipeline that they're going to supposedly stop, Germany kind of really needs that. Um, and so as 
these major world powers have decided that the West has lost its resolve and is moving on um, the assets it's been eyeing up for a very long time to not protect their own borders, but to gain further influence so that they have a political and, and a bigger advantage to be able to impose on us as opposed to us being able to impose on them. As they do that, um, we sit around and ponder what further sanctions uh, we, we can levy. And we'll, we'll think about that for the next few hours and we'll unwrap. Nobody cares. In fact, the longer we sit and ponder sanctions, the more we are emboldening them, emboldening them to say, why should we stop? What are you going to do? Especially now that Ukraine is no longer a strategic area <laughs> for us to go. They gained a major strategic area. By the way, the Middle East is now basically entirely under control of Russia, thanks to us not only leaving, but leaving a billion dollars worth of equipment. There. You know what happened as soon as we left? Russia swooped in, like that day. So they have a strategic foothold in the Middle East where we do not as much anymore. So um, the only thing essentially we can do, and this is the problem with, again, deciding that we don't want to be a police state, as much as that sounds nice, is we are at the behest of Russia and China. We are just basically keeping our fingers crossed that they, that Russia takes Ukraine and China takes Taiwan, and they go, that'll be fine. That's fine. That's all I wanted. We'll just leave it at that. That's all we can do is hope that they do that out of the goodness of their heart. Maybe they will. I don't know. But Russia flat out said, if anybody tries to intervene in what we're doing here, you will be met with resolve that you've never seen in your life. And we cowered and said, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's the situation we're in right now. Boy, it's too bad we don't have a bunch of oil that we could tap into so we weren't dependent on Russia, isn't it? Absolutely the dumbest thing ever. Listen, if you want to go green, fine, go green first. Don't cut off your own freaking oil supply and then go to a tyrant and say, hey, we'll buy your oil and then try to figure out green energy. That is the dumbest freaking thing ever. But that's what we did. Oh, don't worry. We can get oil from other tyrants. Oh, okay. Okay. You mean like in the Middle East where Russia has control? Okay. That's fine. How about we restart our own freaking oil? How about that one? How about we have more than they do? We don't need theirs or Saudi Arabia's. Or the South American oil. We don't need any of their oil. We have our own oil. Good Lord. That, that, by the way, that needs to be priority number one. As of yesterday, we are tapping into any and all oil that we have. And I'm not talking about reserves. I'm talking about drilling our own. Restarting every oil pipeline that we have anywhere and everywhere. All oil is in-house. Because you know what the sanctions do? It hurts Russia and it hurts us. But Russia doesn't care because they're run by a dictator. And what is anybody going to do? What are they going to do? Vote them out? What's going to happen here when oil prices spike through the roof or in Europe, like they're already doing and will continue to do? We riot. Maybe not literally, but point is, we can't withstand it. Russia can. Because Putin don't have to care about nothing. There's no such thing as political pressure in Russia. He doesn't have an election coming up in two years or one year or three years or four years. But hey, yay for political slogans, right? Make love, not war, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. Police, policing the world, nonsense. So let's just hope all these absolute morons that have been running the West haven't just drawn us into a much bigger crisis than this, and that it really is just about Ukraine and Taiwan, and that's the end of it. Oh, good. We're, Boris Johnson's calling for another meeting. Well, that's great. We're, we're, everything's solved now. We're going to have another freaking meeting. This is, just, this is exactly like work. There's a problem. What should we do? I don't know. Let's schedule a meeting. No, let's figure out how to fix this right now. Pick up your telephone and call me and let's come up with a plan. Come walk down here. This Don't schedule a meeting for tomorrow 
where we have to get up and physically walk to a different location and sit around and have a big meeting with a bunch of people that don't need to be. This is so stupid. Do something. We are. We're having a meeting. Let's have meetings, and then we'll have meetings about meetings, and we could meet about our meetings about meetings. I'm calling on leaders to have a meeting. Well, that ought to fix it. Anyways, there's no way to, like, smoothly transition out of this. Um, There just isn't. So we're going to take a very early break, and we'll come back from that break, and we will talk about the Green Bay Packers. Largely just going to be going through what um, GM Brian Gutekunst had to say, et cetera, et cetera. Remember to head over to Twitter, pack underscore daddy, uh, help Drew get his seizure service dog. That's where his GoFundMe is located at the top, pinned to the top of my tweeter. Thanks to Ken for the donations. Been a while since somebody's jumped on, so I really appreciate that. Head over to the Packernet Podcast Facebook group because uh, pinned to the top of that is Cody's GoFundMe. Again, uh, Jamie and her one-year-old middle child Carter were struck head-on in a vehicle. Uh, both were airlifted to Iowa City with major injuries. And so Cody will need to be doing a lot of travel to get back and forth between his home and Iowa City to um, be with them and um, just hoping that they're doing well. Again, you can find their GoFundMe and can donate there. Um, If you do not want to give to GoFundMe and would rather give a different way, you can cash app him. His name is Cody Shep 46 codyshep 46 So that would be another way to do that. And again, don't forget about a modern frontier place where you can get you some meat, some beef, some pork, etc., etc. He's got an eighth uh, beef box and a quarter pork box. And if you use promo code uh, MEATPACKER, you get $25 off. That's one word, all caps, MEATPACKER. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the, the press conference, again, was supposed to be about... Um, the upcoming combine and whatnot, but obviously they really didn't talk about that at all. Um, Brian Gutekunst got into discussions about, you know, the the big news of the day with Devontae and um, contracts and all that, and they started off kind of asking about the Aaron Rodgers situation. He basically said, we're not going to get into hypotheticals, um, so that was the end of that. He was asked about the Devontae deal. He said, well, that's also a hypothetical, um, but they are looking to get a long-term deal done. He says Adams could possibly be allowed to leave in free agency. I had somebody kind of freak out about that. This answer in its entirety means I don't know. Because what did he say? It's possible we tag him. It's possi- we would like to get a long-term deal as opposed to a tag, obviously. And it's also possible he could be allowed to leave in free agency. So the options are he leaves, he signs a long-term deal, or he gets tagged, right? Duh. It's just another way of saying all options are on the table. Um, asked about Jordan Love, and you got to understand that there's a difference between 
There are some answers that are positive but don't really mean anything and that you can use to kind of lie. Um, it doesn't have to be a lie, but you look at it and say, mm, you know, I don't really know. Talking about the development of Jordan Love, he said he thought he made some good strides during the offseason program. Quote, I thought there were some really positive signs throughout the year. That's a nothing statement, right? I mean, because it's, it's one of those things that technically could be true. I mean, there could be development in this area and positive signs here and there. But does that growth have any actual, real, tangible, I mean, are we even moving the needle in terms of him being a starter? Does that even begin to address the fact that we're about to presumably sign Aaron Rodgers to a massive contract, which almost assuredly means Jordan Love will not be here very long? I mean, I, well, I'm not even going to touch on another hypothetical there, but you know what I mean? So, so he answered the question in a way that's positive for Jordan Love with, with basically no commitment to Jordan Love or any real honesty about his development or anything like that. He says he feels very confident the team can build around Aaron Rodgers um, and Devontae getting new contracts. He's very, uh, basically is optimistic that yes, we can have both and we can still have a, a team to build around them, which again is, is largely true. We've kind of talked about what needs to happen. Kenny Clark has already been extended and we freed up more money than most people thought. I think the, the maximum people thought we could do was $10 million. I think we freed up closer to 11 and Gutekunst said we could have freed up up to $14 million. So um, again, there seemed to be some level of disconnect between our understanding of things, even people who are really cap savvy and um, not saying, I don't know what Ken had said, but the general understanding was that you could free up about 10 and according to Gutekunst, it could have been 14. So there seems to be some additional leeway in there that they found that maybe other people did not. Another point he made, which is basically what I've been saying, and, and it's why if I was Gutekunst, I'd be especially frustrated, which is why it's hilarious to me that people are mad at Gutekunst. I, I don't know. People just swing wildly at things. But um, he said he doesn't think that the team is missing any pieces. The team just needs to play better. That includes, but is not limited to the play of Rodgers. That's absolutely correct. Now, again, that's not to say that the team is perfect. Like we could never have used an upgrade at tight end or offensive line or whatever. But the team is more than adequate and more than equipped to win a Super Bowl. You know how I know? Because the two teams in the Super Bowl were not as equipped as the Packers, and they were in the Super Bowl. They have more than enough pieces to be able to win a Super Bowl. They just need to execute, and they're not executing. Um, he was asked to comment on his relationship with Rodgers. He basically parroted exactly what um, Rodgers has been saying. And, and again, this is one of those things that you hear it, and you, it just sounds more genuine. It's very specific. Um, when he says, I'm very appreciative of his conversations, uh, we're more frequent this season, I appreciate his comments. That right there is kind of nothing. You know, I, I appreciate his comments. However, he goes on to say, um, it's been good, we're in a much better place. So that's, that is full-fledged acknowledging we were not in a good place and we are now. I mean, that's a definitive statement. There's no way to dance around that, you know what I mean? We were not in a good place, we are definitely in a good place now. Period. There's no gradation there. I guess there could be. You could be in a much better place and still in a bad place, but that doesn't seem to be the case whatsoever. Um, talking about Tom Clements, he kind of gave some nonsense answer about, um, you know, we didn't hire him for Rodgers, but also it proves that we're willing to do things for Rodgers, even though this wasn't for Rodgers. And also we probably would have hired, maybe would have hired him anyways, if not for Rodgers. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Rogers wanted him, and you said okay, and that's it. That's, that's all it is. Uh, kind of an interesting note on Devondre Campbell. Apparently, they really wanted to sign Devondre Campbell prior to him going to Arizona. He made the decision to go to Arizona. They didn't think they'd get the opportunity to sign him again. So when he became available later in the season, they decided to pull the trigger on Campbell. 
or or later in the off season that is they decided to pull the trigger and and uh and go get him so it's kind of good too because again these guys have not been very good in their talking about Campbell and Douglas very good in their career not very good football players so even though he went to Arizona and was not a fantastic football player they still looked at him and said yeah dude I want that guy like are you sure he hasn't been playing oh yeah I want that guy so again, I mean, and this is where, you know, when, when I get asked about free agents or I get asked about coaches and stuff, I don't know, dude, because what I look at is not what they look at. They have a completely different criteria. And the same is true of the draft, which is why it's also so silly that we get so hung up on, you know, we, we, we drafted a guy that is a second round grade. According to who? According to a bunch of guys that use a, a blanket criteria that is not team specific, right? Has nothing to do with a particular fit for a particular team with a particular scheme. The amount of, of hours they put into the meetings where they discuss what we really need, the exact prototype of a player that can really help this team, and they find that player in the draft, and the fact that we're picking at 24, and this guy has a consensus national ranking of like a 45th overall pick. Well, we can't do that because, you know, Matt Miller at uh, what was Bleacher Report, I think, or the Draft Network, the, the, the no offense, the children over there, aren't they? They're, they're all like in their 20s, aren't they? I mean, the, the idea that Brian Gutekunst should be beholden to, you know, I, I know they work hard, but give me a break. And again, I have nothing against doing draft coverage and all that stuff. The only time I really don't like it is when they're over there cackling and giggling about how stupid Brian Gutekunst or these other GMs are. Dude, I'm sorry. If you filed, filled out an application with these teams, they would, all 32 would laugh at you. And of the few that have actually gotten jobs, for the most part, not including Mike Mayock, who has been somewhat of a disaster as a GM, you're going to get some low-level garbage position. But anyways, he did say he's hoping to get those guys back. Um, Again, that's a really non-committal... I shouldn't say it's a non-committal statement, because you don't say that if you're not trying, right? I mean, if, if you are communicating to these players that you're not interested, and then you go into the podium... You know, in other words, you're calling the Packers and they're not answering your calls or whatever. And then you go to the podium and say, we're going to try to get them back. I mean, it's, it's very easy, especially in these, this day and age of social media, for Devondre Campbell or Razul Douglas to, I mean, all it would take is the, to find that quote on Twitter, quote tweet it with the little blue cap thing on it. That's it. And that's going to completely ruin everything. It's going to make Brian Gutekunst look like a complete piece of garbage, right? Cap. In other words, they're lying. They're not trying to get us back. They never said anything to me. I never got a call. They're completely not interested, so they are in communication with these guys. To what avail, I don't know. Again, that's kind of the part where it's real flimsy. You know, how serious of an offer are they going to get? I don't know. But they are trying to get them back, which I guess makes sense. I mean, they, they played so well. You're going to make some kind of an offer, but the question is, is it going to be a strong offer because we really feel like we need you, or is it going to be a weak offer based on we like to keep you, but we really can't either afford you or we don't think you're probably as worth as much as the market's worth. But we're going to at least enter, we're going to at least offer what, what you're worth to us, knowing full well that you're probably going to shoot that down. Um, talking about the Kenny Clark restructure, he said there will be many more that we'll touch that we'll have to get under the cap. We'll keep options open to create space as needed, says that was an easy decision, which again, it was. A lot of people kind of freaked, about, freaked out about the Kenny Clark thing, and there are reasons to freak out about can kicking based on comments of Brian Gutekunst, but this was really not one of them in my opinion. Maybe you could say the way in particular that they structured it was a little more aggressive than necessary. I don't, I, you know, whatever, but the point is this had to be done. This is not an, and I've talked about it on the podcast, I don't even need to really rehash this with you, I wouldn't think, but even if you want to be as prudent as you possibly can to make sure that we're not carrying massive debt or dead money or, or void years or whatever kind of stuff into the future, 
even if you're trying to make sure to be as responsible as possible in the future, you still have to, quote unquote, touch Kenny Clark's contract and probably David Bakhtiari's contract and, and maybe one or two others that are in there, depending on who's staying and who's going. You know, some guys, if they're staying, it's contingent on, you know, a, a restraint. I mean, even Aaron Jones, potentially, I wouldn't really think so. But again, the way that he's structured, I'm thinking he's gone next year. Maybe they clean that up. I don't know. And by clean it up, I mean, make it worse. Although that wouldn't really make sense. That just makes next year worse, but I don't know. Talking about special teams, he says, uh, Bisaccia will have a lot of influence on special teams. Says they'll have to do some different things because those issues have dragged on too long as a team. So I'm kind of conflicted on that. Number one, because we've heard a lot of lip service, right? Going all the way back to Mike McCarthy, sitting in on on special teams meetings to, to really fix things. The only reason I'm a little bit more optimistic about this in particular is because I have a feeling that it was contingent on him being hired. He's not going to be hired and then be told that he doesn't really have influence over special teams. It doesn't make sense. He's going to come in here and be the face of a disaster. Why would he make that decision? That's a terrible decision, unless it's really just the Packers offered him the most money. He's like, yeah, sure. But I mean, he's not being very smart if, if that's the case, because it's going to ruin his reputation, especially since, again, the Raiders were not that good on special teams. So if, if he goes to the Raiders and think that was his worst year or years, and then comes to Green Bay and isn't allowed to do much, and Green Bay is a continued disaster, it's going to completely decimate his reputation. And you can forget at all any kind of promotion beyond special teams coordinator, if he can even get, you know find a job doing that. Might just be in retirement territory. So again, if he has any real aspirations, he needs to go to it. More importantly than even the money, although that's, that's a big one because this is a, a giant opportunity to cash in considering he was a head coach, et cetera, et cetera, interim, but whatever. But it's a massive opportunity to cash out. But still, if he has any ambition beyond this, he needs to go to a team that says, we will give you the keys. Now, there's going to have to be some collaboration. He doesn't get to make the draft picks. He doesn't get to decide 100% what players are utilized. There's got to be some collaboration, right? I mean, there's always a line. I mean, obviously he wouldn't, but I mean, if, if Bisaccia said, hey, how about Aaron Rodgers on kick return, right? You think maybe there would be the ability of the head coach to draw a line there or Devante? I'm guessing there's, there's some ability of the head coach to say, yeah, dude, I get it, but never. Um, he also said that the cap will not require a fire sale of veteran players being released. Could be a combination of restructures, some veteran cuts uh, to get the cap through, which again, is kind of all we really speculated. You've, you've, you restructure some of those bigger contracts. You cut some of the bigger contracts like Zedarius, that'll get you the majority of the way there. So again, there's really nothing here that was super surprising. The only thing that really kind of, I guess not necessarily took me by surprise, but it was the answer I didn't want to hear was um, sort of an elaboration on the the can kicking thing where, where Brian Gutekunst essentially said, no, we're still kind of in the all in window. Now he did also kind of blame the pandemic and said, that's the reason we've been doing things differently. But he also flat out said that you know, we want to continue to go all in because we feel like we have a window here and we feel like we have a good team. And when you have a good team, you go in and you win. And so they're going to continue to be aggressive with these contracts. We'll, we'll see what all that means and how that, that kind of filters out as decisions are made. I mean, again, we, we're obviously kicking the can, but the point is you want to go in a direction of less future issues as opposed to, to more, right? We, we restructured a ton last year and put a lot of pressure on the future. We want to start rolling that back. Even if, so, so if we have to do Kenny and Bakhtiari and you know one or two others, okay. But we're also getting rid of Z. We're going to get him off the books. Obviously not. I mean, that's going to accelerate into this season. But as of next season, that doesn't hurt us. 
So again, as long as you can clean up underneath it to at least make sure you're not having and incurring additional um, issues, because as uh, the way Ken illustrated it, which is my biggest concern is, you know, last year we kicked the can down the road. This year we're kicking the bowling ball down the road. Next year we're, you know, kicking a truck down the road. It's not exactly what he said, but it, the point is you, you, it's quicksand. And the more we try to pull ourselves out, out of this thing, the more we're sinking. And there is an end to this, but you can continue it but also clean it up as fast as you do it to make sure that we're at this sort of perpetual state of not great, but, you know, we can survive. Which again, is, it's, it's, it's understandable, but it's also somewhat problematic because we're just forfeiting a portion of our cap. Because eventually one of these, one or two or three or four of these players that we have uh, played with their contracts are going to come to an end and all those void years are going to accelerate and it's just going to cost them. It's, it's effectively the same as, as dead money is. You know, you, you cut a guy, I mean, it is, it's literally dead money, but it's the same effect to where you're just stacking up, well, dead money. And dead money is just a subtraction of your cap. So yes, it's very true that a lot of the reason we don't have money is because we're paying superstars, and that's a good problem to have. Having a lot of cap space is not a good thing because then you're not paying anybody unless you just absolutely crushed the last three, four years of your draft and your team is completely built on, you know, 22-year-olds that are crushing it right now. But even that, again, is, is fake and unsustainable because all these guys are going to need to get paid. And then you're in a serious problem. If you have four dominant drafts in a row, you're doomed because you cannot pay all of them. It's impossible. Like if you nailed every single pick and, you know, won a Super Bowl and they're all superstars, you can't pay, <laughs> you know, 22 superstars. By the way, there was another question uh, about Jordan Love and whether or not he would take any calls. Again, everything about Jordan Love is very evasive. This is from a tweet from Lily Zhao. Brian Gutekunst noted this normally isn't the time for calls, but did say it'd be, quote, very doubtful he'd take any trade calls regarding, regarding Jordan Love. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, um, are you considering trading Jordan Love? No. Are you considering, what, what do they say? Would you take any calls for trading um, Aaron Rodgers? What does he say? He doesn't say very doubtful. He says, absolutely not. What does he say about Jordan Love? Very doubtful. Probably not. Which, if you say that another way, you know what you know what it sounds like. If the price is right, <laughs> it's the same thing, just said in a different way. So, in other words, yes, he'd be willing to. Um, he also commented on David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he's not. He says he's not worried about any long-term issues with David Bakhtiari, which is what he would say, kind of either way. He also said that the ACL rehab is going great for Jenkins, which let's remember it was also going great for David Bakhtiari. So that again kind of means nothing, but I guess it's better than saying it's going horrible. But again, he wouldn't say that. So it's it's noteworthy, but also not in any way noteworthy. Um, he also talked about Zadarius Smith. Um, I mean, again, it was kind of a non-answer. They, they didn't say they're getting rid of Zadarius, and it kind of uh, seems as though they're maybe going to have some conversations, but I don't think there's any way that this works. Um, he basically said a lot of pieces kind of have to fit to make that work. In other words, again, if you take everything at face value and you look at it, and I got the only reason I say this is because I got some messages yesterday that were kind of, you know, quotes of quotes, kind of making it, you know, taking a snippet. Whereas if you just took that snippet and took it 100% at face value, it sounds like he's saying something specific, right? Like, for example, um, allowing Devontae to hit the open market is an option. Now, if that's the only clip you see, that's terrifying. If you take it in the full context of basically he just said all options are available, not that you ever want to see that, and you'd love to be able to hear him just say, no, we're not letting him hit the market, that's not an option. Um, the point is, it's still just a nothing statement. And um, 
I think this is the same. If you take his quote on Zadarius at face value, you could say, well, it looks like he's not just going to let him walk. But they are. I mean, the, the, moving on from Zadarius is about as obvious as extending uh, or restructuring Kenny Clark was. Um, there was a, a little brief few moments of uh, draft or combine talk. Um, he says, it'll be good to see those guys live at the combine. Says it's a really good offensive line class. Skill positions are deeper than in the past. Pass rush groups are deeper than it has been in a while. Uh, numbers are up because so many players opted to come back for another season. So there's, it's, it's a large pool. It definitely seems to be weak at the top. When you look at even like the premier pass rushers that everyone's excited about, I'm not saying they're bad, but it seems to be more of a question than like when you had a Bosa. Uh, quarterback is clearly weaker. Uh, wide receiver isn't weak, but I don't know that there's a Jamar Chase. Again, pass rush is deep, but uh, after at least the first two, it's kind of a question mark. Uh, defensive tackles, there's not much until the end of the first. Running backs, I don't know that there's anybody that's a first-round talent. Tight ends, I would be shocked if anybody's considered a first-round talent. Offensive line, there are a couple guys early, so it's not a terrible one. And to hear that it's deep also means it's, it's you know, pretty much throughout the, through the draft, there's going to be offensive line options early in the first, mid-first, late-first, and throughout the draft. So that is like the one that seems to be pretty consistent throughout. Um, but even corner is kind of a question mark. You know, Derek Stingley is considered a top prospect, but he's really not. I mean, he's, he had a terrible year last year. He's got injury concern. He's at drop-off in production concern. Um, and so, you know, it's possible that somebody can see through that and he has a great year or, or a great career in the NFL, but there's nobody that's just an, an, an elite freak, at least not at this point. You know, things can change. Uh, perceptions of things can change. Um, linebacker, several years in the past few years, there's been guys that are considered top five, top 10. There really isn't one this year, at least not at this particular point in time. Devin Lloyd is seen as like a mid first. N'Kobe Dean is seen as like a mid first. Um, so, you know, safety, I mean, you do have Kyle Hamilton, who's, who's a great player. Um, otherwise you don't have another first round prospect. So, I mean, you know, there's obviously 10 guys in the top 10. That's not a question, but there's a question of how strong those top 10 are. You know, maybe once you get past the top five, it's just major question marks. You know, you got Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Ikema Kwanu, and Kyle Hamilton. And after that, you got Derek Stingley, question mark. Charles Cross, you know, seems solid. Maybe he's going to end up being more of a top five guy. I don't know. Ahmad Gardner at corner. I don't really know. George Karloftis. I don't know. Kenny Pickett at quarterback, number 10, question mark. So, in, in other words, it's always seemed relatively weak at the top. So it's not a bad year to be picking late. Um, terrible year to, to, to kind of tank, I guess, especially if you're tanking to go from like 15 to 7 quotes around tanking, maybe slowly taking your foot off the gas. But it's nice to hear that there's some depth, because, especially for the Packers, because that's usually where they, they do pretty well anyways, especially, especially when you're talking about offensive line depth. If you're saying that we're going to look at, at building up the offensive line maybe later, and there's a lot of depth and, you know, teams that are really good at finding and developing those guys are going to crush it. This feels like a Packers draft, just gift wrapped. Um, same with Edge. You know, we, we probably want to target Edge. He loves that, that group. Skill position. Now, maybe he was just listing our needs, which is also noteworthy because he said, what, skill position, offensive line and edge rush. That's, that's yeah, ch checking a bunch of our own boxes there. Either way, it's positive. Anyways, I need to kind of hurry up and wrap this up. I just want to kind of tidy up a little bit in terms of where the cap situation stands as of right now. Um, first of all, looking directly at the Kenny Clark, Kenny Clark situation, um, 
This via Tom Silverstein. The Packers cut nose tackle Kenny Clark's cap number more than in half, from $20.9 million to about $9.65 million. By converting $14 million in base salary and roster bonus into signing bonus and adding two voidable years, they cut their cap roughly $11 million, as Field Yates reported first. Uh, looking at Ken Ingle's report on this, he says, Kenny Clark's new contract restructure, 2022 cap reduction is $10.892 million. They added two additional void years, and he is now the current dead cap leader at $28.615 million. So again, it was a necessary thing, but it's only necessary because of the problem that we created. So again, this is kind of the spiraling effect of, of causing these problems is you're forcing yourself to cause more problems. And um, we're going to have to deal with these problems at some point in the future. We're looking at $28 million worth of dead money that's looking to be hit at some point. So that's scary. Ken Engel's looking at the overall salary cap, says the, uh, in 2021, the NFL salary cap dropped $16 million. Their peak was $29 million over the cap in the offseason, $13 million gap. 2022 Packers season, NFL salary cap expected to cr- increase $26 million. Peak, $53 million over the cap in the offseason, $79 million gap. The Packers' 2022 cap got six times worse despite the larger cap increase. This is kind of the issue, right? The, the cap increase can be obviously very beneficial, but as it's increasing, you should be trying to clean things up. But the more you kind of push in, we're going negative as the cap is going positive. So the fact that our cap situation got six times worse, it didn't get six times worse. It got a lot worse than six times worse. Because as he says, six times worse despite the large cap increase. Meaning if you adjust it for the cap increase, it's a lot more, a lot more than six times worse. And, and that's just going to continue to grow. Six times worse this year, maybe it gets six times worse next year. So, you know, as, as he said with the whole bowling ball thing, you know, this has to come to an end at some point. And, and the, the, the reason that, you know, a lot of people look at it as like, well, so what? Just keep doing it until you can't do it anymore. And then I guess don't do it or whatever. But the problem is you're getting to the point where you're going to, to have to you can't field a good team anymore. That's the issue, right? This year, we're, we're doing things that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have to do, but we're more or less probably okay. Maybe if we'd been more responsible with Zadarius, we could kind of work it out where he could stay and Preston could stay, you know, because we wouldn't have this massive contract for Zadarius based on how we structured it and everything else. Maybe we would have moved on anyways. He was hurt all last year. His production was dropping anyway. I don't know. But there's probably a couple things that would be no-brainers, you know, whether that be... Uh, Razul and Devondre, just real quick, here's, you know, six, seven million, no problem. You'd lock you up for three years, two years, whatever. Uh, apparently, anyways, this puts us about $40 million over the cap, which obviously means we're getting closer, but there's still a lot to do. And that was our biggest, you know, that was the biggest chunk we're probably going to get pending any major things with uh, Aaron Rodgers or whatever. Additional information from Ken says Packers are still $62 million away from being able to afford a franchise tag for Devontae Adams. Why? Because you have to be able to be under the cap. I believe that cap is about $20 million. Maybe it's 22 I guess. I don't know because, you know, 40 plus 22 is 62 But point is, as he says, lots of cap work ahead for the tag to even be an option for the Packers. There are paths to get there, but it's tough. So anyways, um, I'm running real late here. I got to get going. Uh, again, had a hard time lot going on this morning, so I had a little bit of a late start. But um, anyways, man, I, I don't know. Hopefully everything's okay. Hopefully uh, things calm down and this is much ado about, well, it's, it's not much ado about nothing. This is obviously very serious either way, but, um, you know, hopefully the worst fears are not realized. I think the whole World War III thing gets thrown around way too often. I think there were about seven different moments during Trump's presidency where we heard we were about to get into World War III and that didn't happen. 
I'm hopeful that this is not uh, that this is another one of those instances where nothing, oh, something already did happen, but you know that doesn't materialize. And it's not my goal to get people into a panic, but it is certainly serious. Anyways, have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.